Super Bowl champion. Iverson steps over to Ron Lewis. him out. The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball. From Lancaster to Levittown, Allentown to Hokessin, Philly sports is a way of life, and we've got you covered. This is the Dell Valley Sports Pod. Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all Good things must end. Call it a night. The part is over. And tomorrow starts the same old thing again. Turn out the lights. The season is over. Mm. And just like the last month and a half, it has been rinse and repeat. They go down in embarrassing fashion to what we would all think to be a lesser opponent on paper. But as you and I have talked about, Dan, hello, welcome. Um, This team was going in the wrong direction for far too long. And what we saw last night was the culmination of Bad personnel, bad coaching, and a bad football team. Good night, moon. Good night, stars. <laughs> Good night, eagles. <laughs> My Any optimism that I had, and of course I did, I was watching the game at Chupka's to shout out the Eagles faithful were there uh, in full effect, and I was specifically watching the game uh, with uh, loyal listeners to the pod um dean and abby um and my uh, buddy matt and before the game started we had this bubble of like optimism out of nowhere like you know what i think this is going to be the jalen hurt superstar game like i actually think that they can just they're just going to be good all of a sudden and uh that is an example of what do they call that insanity <laughs> pretty much yes but yeah, it's just there's too many of the same guys as last year on the team for those thoughts not to creep in, for me at least, you know, just because they do have a lot of talented guys on that team. But, man, it's just got to be the worst coach team that I can remember in recent history. Um, and I was giving the offensive side of the ball a lot of credit. Apart from the Giants game, I actually thought that it felt like a team that was two different teams where the offense, it feels like if you took away the defensive struggles, I feel like the offense got looped into those defensive struggles a little bit and that this team stinks, but the offense was still putting up 20 some 30 points and, and being fairly proficient. But um, man, they just saw, they just saw stunk this past game. And my last little comment here as we start this pot off is, very small sample size, very small sample size, but this team's uh, proficiency on offense without one AJ Brown, it's pretty, it's pretty stark, isn't it? The difference, especially on those blitz plays. I don't have the mean statistical breakdown of how many times they go to AJ Brown and successfully do so on blitzes, but it feels like 
that's a big thing. The slant, whether it be this, it's the, really the two routes, right? Whether it be the slant route, the AJ Brown on the blitz, the panic uh, slant, or the deep ball that AJ Brown draws a PI or makes a phenomenal catch. Um, and when they didn't have AJ Brown and they only had Smith at receiver, this offense couldn't figure it out. Not at all. No. And, uh, their sec- or third leading receiver on the season was Zacchaeus, who had 144 yards. So they were completely reliant on the top two, albeit they're absolute studs. A.J. Brown's probably top 10 wide receiver in the, in the NFL, and Devontae Smith is is no slouch. He's a fantastic number two. But he they was don't. Outstanding. Yeah. He was awesome. He was. He was, awesome. he was what, are you saying yesterday, Smith? Yeah. Yeah, he was great yesterday. It was the lone bright spot they had. I, I thought was was the play they got out of him. How was Chupkas? I'm curious. I know you said there was a little gleam of optimism. Was it was it packed? It was pretty good. Uh, so you know the patio area. That's where we sat. Uh-huh. We actually had. We should have moved. Um, for whatever reason, there was like what felt it wasn't fifty, but what felt like fifty young college age kids mostly dudes and they were it felt i think dean said it best it felt like we we're in the middle of like a fraternity um or something and they were obnoxious it was bad they were like throwing ice around it was really really awful i don't know why we didn't just move we weathered the storm uh matt matt was about to dad some of those kids a couple times but we we weathered the storm and uh it was okay inside uh was a pretty good showing um, not comparable to the Super Bowl, of course, but a pretty good showing inside. Nice. Not yeah, filling out I, the back of the bar, but like the front front of the bar was pretty 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 well occupied by ninety percent Eagles fans. It felt like at least. Well, it's it's good to know that Chupkas is still high and flying. I do want to get you know, I want to get back there for for a game. Hopefully next season, and they're worth watching next season. Uh, I don't. I'm sure you were able to listen to the audio of the game and how many times Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were just openly shredding the Eagles, talking about the missed tackling, the poor play calling, just the lack of effort. It seemed like I felt that was very noticeable. In that announcers don't say they don't do that very often. They don't right. just like yes. openly shred teams like over and over again. Joe Buck was like another missed tackle by the Eagles. I, Dude, one I time mean, he apologized for it. You remember yeah. the one call he, he had a call okay. where it's like, and I'm I'm sorry, and I felt it was genuine. He was like, I'm sorry. I know I keep saying this, but there's another missed tackle. I I I am not tired of just seeing it. I'm also tired of saying it and you subsequently, I don't think I know how to say that word, hearing it. He's like, I realize I'm saying this a lot, but I have to. It is my job, and they because it keeps happening. He's talking about what he sees, and that was all you saw on defense, dude. I mean, that's effort. That's coaching. Talent aside, if you can, I mean, if you can't tackle it in the NFL, what are you doing on defense? I mean, all all of the things that Sirianni wanted to like hold his hat on, be like, oh, we're third in the league in miss miss tackle percentage. Not last night. They they couldn't they couldn't tackle a damn tackle dummy. It was standing there. Third and three, I think. I think it was even the first drive. They threw a little dump pass to uh, Rashad White and Bradbury and Roby. Just one of the worst two-man attempts at tackling a guy ever. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Roby basically went to tackle Bradbury and said, ah, "Go ahead, go ahead." Yeah, like Bradbury should make that tackle, but but at the same time, what was Roby doing? Like Bradbury had him stalled for the most part. Bradbury could make that tackle, but he has him stalled, and Roby just just like a cartoon character it slips on a banana peel or something. He just went scooting by with hardly any effort to tackle him. It was really pathetic. And Cunningham did his best Nick Morrow impersonation, I thought, in that game. Uh, did you say last week that if we tackle our own guy, we're going to lose? We set the over at one and a half. And I saw, obviously, we saw the one, the Ricks, Avante Maddox, and it came yeah. early. I'm sure if, if I, if I, you know, watch the film again. I'm sure we'd find a second one, maybe a third in there. Well, I I would put that that play with Bradbury and Roby. I mean, Roby pretty oh, much tackled true. tackled Bradbury. So nail. Hey, we nailed it. All of no. that. We hit the over in like the first quarter. Then I think so. <laughs> Pretty sure both those were very early. Yeah. David Moore. Have you? Do you even know? Did you even know that he was a guy that we had to watch out for? A wide Ooh. receiver, David Moore. Who is David Moore? Yeah, <laughs> right? Trey Palmer? I mean, goodness gracious, dude. I I, I think Trey, was, is Trey Palmer a rookie? He's a rookie. Yeah, okay. I thought this was the Mike Evans, Chris Godwin show. And I tell you what, the, Kate Otten. I tell you what, man. Otten went off. Run, it was this, it's because the middle of the field. It's because the middle of the field, right? How many times did Kate Otten just run a seam route down the middle of the field and there wasn't a safety or linebacker that picked him up? It's always badass when a guy doesn't wear gloves, I will say. Yeah. It's like, makes me think of like, you know, Orge Posada, a lot of catchers in baseball. I feel like that's a comparison, catchers in, in baseball and tight ends in football. Yeah. But Kate Otten, I tell you what, and you know what? They crushed us on offense. They had a million yards, and they still had tons of drops, even mm -hmm. with they all did. the drops. Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of drops, and they still threw for over, I think, 300 yards, Baker did. Yeah, 337, yeah. three touchdowns. Hertz had 250 and one touchdown. Uh, I saw Dan Orlovsky break down a play earlier, and it, it was a microcosm of the offense and just bad play calling. They got destroyed by the Blitz. Saw that coming. Oh. But to to just like sum up the lack of play, like good play calling on the offense, Hertz got blitzed. He had no time to throw the ball, and they had four people out wide. They all did verticals. You want you want to tell me? And I think that was the same play where was it Goddard and Smith ended up like five yards away from each other on that the. Was, yep, that was a th yep exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, on the right side of the field. Why, why, why is that the offense? And it, this isn't the first time that that's happened. It seems like all of their patterns are just go routes. There's no little button hooks or like crosses in the middle. Well, and I, I don't feel like there's a mix of routes either. I feel yes, that I exactly. see a lot of plays where our, all the routes are kind of similar and one route isn't helping the other route get open, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like they're not, okay, here's the word. They're not complementary routes, okay? So the exact play where we were talking about, I sent you the video, 
Mm -hmm. Perfect example that David Moore touchdown. Yes, Ricks and Maddox ran into each other, but they ran into each other because we were in man and the two receivers on the right side one set a very casual kind of pick type route and they swing the other guy to cross uh, the field. We run crossers, but I feel like a lot of time when we run crossers, it's like both guys are running crossers. They use the wide receivers to set up the one crosser. They even use the running back. That's why Maddox ran into Ricks is because he was trying to get to the other side of the field to watch the running back. And then coming the opposite direction on a cross route was David Moore and then our two guys hit each other. But I say in the video, even if they didn't tackle each other, um, he still would have had a ton of separation because he got picked by a different, like that just very complimentary. And I feel like we don't see a lot of complimentary routes. Like the one complimentary route that they do is the stupid slant pick play, which they run two or three times a game with Devonta Smith and the tight end Goddard. and at least half the time it's a penalty and an illegal pick. But you're right. And then the other thing that drives me nuts is not just the plays where it's everyone going deep on third down. I feel like at least a couple uh, times a game, you also see that every single person run a hitch route on third down. Where every single receiver just runs the same hitch route. Yeah, it's weird. Why? Like, what's the point of every single receiver running a hitch route? What's the point of any any play where all four receivers run the same route? Exact route. Four verticals, four button hooks. And Sirianni is not a defensive guy. He's in charge of the offense. So this comes down on him. Now, we're recording this 630 on Tuesday evening. There's been no word yet about the fate of Nick Sirianni nor any of the other head coaches. From uh, what we hear, it seems like Jason Kelsey has played his last game as an Eagle. So we can get touch on him if we want to. I'm sure we could talk about Jason Kelsey for a half hour. Everyone's confirming that, but I haven't seen a direct quote. Is, do you know where the direct quote is from, or is it just kind of he, assumed? He told people in the locker room, and then it, it got out from there. So okay. he, he hasn't said it, but it was confirmed by multiple other players in the locker room. Okay. So, yeah, that's... That's the story on that. But, yeah, we haven't heard anything about Sirianni or the coordinators. But going back to it, the offense is what Sirianni is in charge of. Obviously, he chose – hold on. Sorry, something's going on with my computer over here. My fault. Um, Obviously, he trusted Desai and Matt Patricia to an ill-fated appointment on trying to fix the defense. I'm sure you saw the other other play where they had to use a timeout because the defense didn't know what they were doing and they had the wrong personnel on the field. Mm. That's like the second week in a row that's happened. Would, that's the most frustrating thing to me. You don't even know what you're, if you're supposed to be on the field, let alone what position you're supposed to be in. That is inexcusable if you're an NFL defense. and that, Or it happened to the offense too in some ways. There's blunders on both sides of the ball. Not necessarily like, you know, last week that happened where it was like, what? no, no, two weeks ago we had that happen where it was like, hey, uh, we're missing a guy in the huddle. But there's blunders on both sides of the ball as far as doing the running the play or being in the right position. It's it's crazy. It's on both sides of the ball in a playoff game. It's just it's unbelievable to see how far this team and and how quickly. 
I mean, it, it was the leading story on every ESPN talk show this afternoon that I checked in with. ESPN or uh, NFL Live. It was Eagles to start, Eagles to finish, around the horn, the collapse of the Eagles. I mean, this is a nationwide story about how bad the Eagles are and how far they've come from being a good team. You think about it, Super Bowl, 10-1, and Super Bowl favorites to, uh, to some people, and then they lose six of seven in a two-month span, a month-and-a-half span. Sirianni, he, if he's not fired, he is certainly on the hot seat because you could tell that the players were just not bought in. Yeah. And if you if you lose your message in an NFL locker room, I mean, like these are grown men. These are humans. And it's like any good or bad boss, like if if they just lose you and, and they're they're not up to the standard they need to be, you kind of check out. And that is exactly what this Eagles team looked like. They looked like they checked out. And if Sirianni has lost the locker room and lost his his ability to reach them on, on a man-to-man level, one, that's damning, and two, that is very hard to gain back because you need to basically like strip down everything that you like stood for and and, and try to rebuild your message. And that's 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 something hard to do with 53 grown-ass men. Yeah. I also, another side of it is, uh, I agree with you on that, and then I think of just the coaching side of it in terms of the development of your players and young players. And we have a young quarterback right now, man. It is essential that this guy is surrounded by good minds and by good coaches. He he clearly is coachable because his jump that he took last year from the year before was phenomenal, outstanding. And to me, and I mean, he performed how well in the Super Bowl, but it wasn't even just the Super Bowl. He had a great year. And it's not just that he was so good last year, it's that he showed clear development from the year prior, right? And it feels a little bit deja vu like, right? Because of the fact that the head coach drama and we have a quarterback who's getting along really well with the offensive coordinator. Then the offensive coordinator gets hired by someone else, the same team, actually the Colts. <laughs> and then it looks like a completely different offense. And the quarterback looks lost the following year. Deja vu. It's crazy. Wow. That Yeah. From, from Doug to Sirianni. That's wow. It's really insane. It's the same storyline and the yeah. quarterback <laughs> looks unrecognizable and they just aren't able to coach and connect with him the same way. And it's just, so the fact to me that hurts shows showed that he can be coached, that he can improve and that he regressed this year around this particular staff. Like he regressed throughout the year. You could even say he definitely didn't improve throughout the year no. shows me. Um, we got to We got to get some, some better brains or some more compatible brains around them because I don't want to, to waste these years um, with him. I do believe in hurts. I, I think that there's definitely something there, but I don't think Kurtz is so good that he's going to be able to, um, he's going to be able to survive a, a bad coaching situation. You know, I don't think he's so good that he, doesn't require good coaches around him. I mean, 
a part of me when I watch him get these third downs and they're clearly blitzing, a part of me wonders, like, why doesn't he ever look over to his receivers and communicate and be like, hey, they're blitzing. Let's do that quick slant. Like, let's get a quick route here. You know, a part of me is has got to be thinking, how's that not on him a little bit that when the blitz is shown, he's not calling some hot route change. I, how is that not on him at least a little bit? Now, obviously, that's mostly on the coaches because the coaches should be teaching him to do that, and they're clearly not. Otherwise, I would think he'd be doing it unless he's just, no, I'm not doing it every single game. But, yeah, he we need to get some better some better coaches around him because we don't have it right now. And I, the more I think about it, it's an interesting debate because Nick Sirianni has had such a great record, but the more I think about it, the more I think it might be a good time to, to try to reset the coaching thing a little bit. After last night, that's kind of where I am as well. And just before I, I lose the thought, you can make the argument that Shane Steichen was the biggest loss from last year to this year. I would have said I would have said a player maybe like Kaiser White, T.J. Edwards, C.J. G.J. But after seeing the last seven weeks of the season, I feel like Shane State Shane Steichen might be the biggest loss because Jalen Hurts looks lost, and his progression from twenty one to twenty two was almost as sharp as his regression from last year to this year. It's been a roller coaster with him. And I agree with you. I think he is a good enough player, but still does need a good coach to get in his ear about, hey, look for this. You know, check the defense here. I remember watching the Dallas game on my way home on Sunday. It was great seeing you, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could have wish I could have hung out longer. Um, but I was watching the Dallas game on the way home and I took notice to it. It felt like at least four or five times. Dak was was audibling at the line of scrimmage, changing, like, going to his receivers, like, hey, hey, here, you know, maybe I missed it, but I didn't I didn't feel like Hurts did that one time last night. Hmm. And you're exactly right. It's it's coaching. He's he's not I don't think he's going rogue and it's just like, nah, I'm not gonna audible out of the play. I'm gonna stick with it. You you train your quarterback to be able to do that and look for defenses that are lined up in a certain way based on, on your personnel. And it, it's, yeah, it comes down to coaching, but I'm, I'm with you. I didn't want to get rid of Sirianni, but the more I think about last night and how far this team has fallen off in such a short window, I don't think, I don't think another year of him is going to be good for the team as a whole. Right. And especially when you think about the names that are available right now, Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel, um, Jim Harbaugh. I'm, I'm missing one. Who am I not thinking about? Um, Pete Carroll. I mean, I think Pete Carroll's probably moving up in the Seahawks log. Regardless, there are a lot of high caliber head coaching names out there right now. Jeffrey Lurie has a big decision on his hands to yeah. figure out whether or not he's going to stick with Nick Sirianni. And I'm sure they're having a very long stern talk today. Here's, here's the thing that's interesting about those big names is that I would say a lot of those big names, at least a few of them are guys that, 
are going to get multiple offers for sure. And if, if I would say certainly Belichick, who Howard Eskin is convinced there's a 0% chance that Bill Belichick is coming to Philly because Lurie hates him. I saw something from him today. Hate Howard Eskin. I, I, I do. Thank you. I a, absolutely despise he's Howard. Such a pathetic grouch. Yeah, yeah, he's such that, a grouch. Genius. Yeah. He's such a grouch. I can't stand him. Um, thank you. I'm glad we're on the same page on Howard Eskin. Yeah, he's just miserable. He's a the, miserable human the being. King, the quote unquote king. Shove it up your rear. Yeah, he's a he's a miserable human human being. But I digress. Um I, I don't know, man. If you think about the Nick Sirianni hire, they hired a guy that I'm pretty sure was the wide receiver coach for the Colts, which was, by the way, a point I was going to make when you were talking about all the, the routes and how they're, you know, they're running bad routes. You would just think that a guy that is history, not just with offense, but as being a wide receiver coach would have a better idea of wide receiver route schematics. But whatever i digress um when he was at he was at mount union right was he a player or a coach for them or both i'd have to look it up i can't remember it up. but something something in the back of my brain is telling me he played wide receiver at, as like a d3 athlete mm. and if that's the case it's really damning that he he can't draw up a good wide receiver route tree for his yeah. nfl offense I mean, I do think that there's been obviously some decent, especially if you compare our receivers now to before Sirianni, they have gotten um, much better. Uh, obviously, A.J. Brown is A.J. Brown. But at the end of the day, you know, give him credit that we have good receivers and we hadn't had good receivers in a really long time. But I digress. Back to the point of. They hired Nick Sirianni. And do you wonder or do you think that part of the reason they hired a guy like Nick Sirianni is because if Lurie and Howie, it, it kind of allowed Howie Roseman to still get quite a bit of say. Like Colts wide receiver coach is not going to give any pushback to anything. He is excited at the opportunity. He's never been a head coach. Um, it gives a lot of control and power still to like the, I really do kind of do like a Howie Roseman Lurie thing. I really do think that they're very close. Um, and I'm a little bit afraid that Lurie's like never, not that I want Howie gone or anything like that, but I feel like he's a little bit living in the debt of what happened during the chip Kelly era. And then when Howie helped them get a super bowl, I just, I don't, I don't think Lurie is – I think Lurie is always going to first listen to Howie, I guess. And because of the dynamic that I'm assuming, but I think that's kind of how it is, I'm not sure that a guy like Mike Vrabel would want to coach in Philly. Certainly not. Like Bill Belichick is pretty much a GM coach type person from everything that I've seen and heard. Um, but Mike Vrabel doesn't seem like a guy that would want to deal with that. I mean, a lot of these veteran coaches I don't think would want to deal with that. And certainly any coach that has multiple offers – if you can go to a place where you get like a little bit more control, I don't know. I guess I'm a little afraid of that dynamic potentially um, keeping away some of the top tier coaching candidates. Do you, do you think that that could be a problem at all? How we wanting to get very involved? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And you look back to the last two coaches. I mean, Doug was a first time head coach in the NFL, then Sirianni that doesn't, 
it's not you're not bringing in somebody who has a lot of background. They don't have gravitas. They don't have that cachet to denounce or or, or disagree with something that Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie are saying. And I think it has been a strategic move to put somebody in place who's moldable to that they're going to listen to us and that we, yes, have a lot of the say. So like they're keeping their own power by ensuring they hire somebody who doesn't have a strong voice. All of the guys that were brought up and that are out there that I think Eagles fans would want, Vrabel, Harbaugh, Belichick, the like, none of those guys would sit in a room and listen to Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie tell them to a man be like, this is what you have to do because all those are like true football guys. Mm -hmm. Howie Roseman is a stats like businessman in, he started out as an intern with the Eagles in the cap, the cap realm. Now he's great as a cap guy. I think he's made some very good draft picks in recent years, but it's, I agree that it's, it's worrisome to think that they might go down that route again for the third time in a row to hire somebody who they know they can mold and who will listen to them so that they can keep the power. And then if it fails again, does it become the issue is Jeffrey Laurie and Howie Roseman, not the coach? This this sucks, Dan. Do you I, remember how do you remember how much fun we were having in November yeah. watching the Eagles? It's hard to remember though, isn't it? Dude. I, I was just trying to look up there. I heard this is this is this is gonna be a little speculative here, so don't okay. quote me on this stuff. But I I did hear today that Matt Patricia was in the building more like he was a bit of a Howie Roseman guy. Um actually not a Nick Sirianni guy. And I have to try to dig more into the depths of all that. But if Matt Patricia indeed was, and I guess like he lives close to Howie in the building off, you know, offices and stuff like that. Anyways, I heard speculation that he was actually a Howie Roseman kind of guy. And if that is indeed the case, it makes me wonder if maybe it was more of a Howie Lurie decision to switch to him as defensive coordinator. And I remember hearing Which again from- would be concerning for on multiple fronts. One, because it was obviously destructive, I think. And two, because it's again that like the not letting the coach be the coach, I guess. You know. This this brings me back to 2018. Uh how or Jeffrey Lurie and, and Doug Peterson. Do you remember the story about how we or uh Jeffrey Lurie approaching Doug? after they beat Green Bay on the road, it was like 34-28. And it was, they weren't playing very well. It was, a, it was a great win on the road. And Lurie got in, in, on Doug's case about like not passing the football enough. And Doug's like, are you kidding? Yeah, we ran the football. We also beat one of the best teams in the NFL on the road on, on a short week on Thursday night. You're getting on me because I can't throw the football more. I feel like Jeffrey Lurie wants to be a football guy so badly that he's he's getting in the way of his own product. Hmm. He he wants to he should just stick to being an owner, but I don't think he he knows how and he's he just wants 
I don't know. If that's do, the case, if Lurie is meddling in football operations to the detriment of the team, that is a huge issue. And we'll never really know the details, you know, if and if Matt Patricia is a Howie guy and that's the reason he got put in place, also very much damning on the front office and how it intersects with what the coach thinks is best for the football team. So, there, I mean, there's going to be a, a lot, and I feel like we're probably going to hear a lot in the next coming weeks about what happened the last seven weeks of the season and why it went down so that's, quickly. That's why it's so hard to talk about a lot of this stuff is because yeah. we have yeah. limited access no matter what. There's a lot of he said, she said, and, and it becomes a lot of specula speculations uh, and trying to connect dots, you know. Did, yeah. did you watch Game of Thrones at all? Were you a Game of Thrones guy at all? I was not, no. Okay. I'm just thinking, I'm afraid to have a situation where there's like this one main character um, in uh, Game of Thrones, and he was kind of like... That Jon Snow? No. He was, I think his name was Lord Viserys. He, I think he was like a hand of the king type guy. Anyway, he was never a king. He was never the person in power, but he was always really, really close to the person in power. And he was like the whisperer type person that would help guide essentially the one that's making all the calls because of all the whispering and you should do this. Yeah. And I heard this and all that. He's like Rasputin. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> But I guess I'm just I really hope that we don't get into that kind of a situation here. And I don't know if we're overdoing this, if if this is embellishment. And and again, it like we like Howie, obviously we like Howie as a GM. I don't think we have any faith in Howie if he were to go down there and coach guys up and develop players. That's not something he's that is good at. That's not his skill set. So that's just. That's just where I, I want a separation there. You know, I don't want you to be in the same way. I, I kind of feel like, who are you to be saying who's a good coach and who's not a good coach? I don't, I don't, I mean, Howie Roseman doesn't have a great history of being able to decide. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know who brought in guys like Stike. I know who brought in the offensive coordinator last year. I guess, see, it's tough because I don't know who's responsible for all the different pieces to the puzzle here over the last couple of years. But yeah, I just think about that situation and I wonder if it keeps away some of the top candidates, I guess is what all the, all the fuss ends up leading to. If you could have, um, if you could have any coach, is there one that you would be most excited about? I would love to see Mike Rabel coach his football team. Now I, I also would I, I would love to see Jim Harbaugh coach his football team as well. I just don't think he's going to come here. I think he's going to be snatched up by a West Coast team. I think that's more his style after being in the cold weather of Michigan forever. But, yeah, I mean, if I had one one pick, it would be Mike Vrabel. I, ju I just think he's a straight-up football guy in the same way that Dan Campbell is. Like, I wish we had Dan Campbell as our head coach. I freaking love that guy. Awesome. He's I so love awesome. that guy. He's got dip spit flying out when he's doing interviews. Um, I just yeah. The, there's a, there's a coaching candidate. One video resurface from him. Sorry, what was that? I said if there's one candidate I think fits Philly, at least from somebody we would want coaching the team, it'd be Mike Grable. I. And I'll say my thoughts. I just have to say, Dan Campbell. There's one video that I'd seen. You probably seen in the past. It was one of the like 
off season, not off season, but uh preseason or something like that videos of uh, Detroit Lions at camp or wherever at practice. And they're all wearing pads. And it was clearly a day where um, they didn't need to be wearing pads or was optional. And he kept choosing to do pads. And he does one of his like tough guy, but real emotional guy. Um speeches and it aged so well because that team plays so tough now but he's just like man i know this sucks man all right i know this sucks man but i promise you i promise you i have a plan i promise you we're working on something here man i promise you you just gotta trust me you just gotta trust me man you just gotta trust me we have a plan here and i'm and it aged so well because then you watch that game and you're like these guys play hard dude they don't have the best defense in football. They really don't. But they do play tough. Like, they're a physical team. Just ask freaking Matt Stafford and Puka. Um, but, yeah, it would be fun. I I, I can't dispute that at all to have a Vrabes, a Dan Campbell-like guy. But I, I also would love to get a coach in here that could be a bit of a quarterback whisperer. I, we have a young quarterback. I would love to get a guy in here that could um, help develop Hurts and, and help getting him to see things a little bit better out there. Um, because I, I really think Hurts could be really good. Um, and I, he's I just shown, don't... He's shown that he can be. I don't, I don't think 2022 was a fluke. He's shown, he's shown he can be very good. Just for whatever I, I, reason, I don't want to just get a defensive guy who's not... And, and Hurts is just going to have to like figure it out or whatever. Um, I guess for as good as Vrabes was at Tennessee, they never really could figure out the offense apart from Derrick Henry, you know? So I guess that gives me a little fear for sure. What about Eric B Eric B Wow. That's an interesting one. Um, you know what? And Eric B is definitely more of a tough nose kind of guy. I've heard some stories about Eric B and he's not a, uh, I've heard Chiefs fans this year say we're missing Bienemy's like accountability because I think Andy Reid is is a little bit more he's not Andy Reid can be tough too but I think he's a little bit more positive. I've heard that Eric Bienemy is a little bit more accountability toughness kind of guy. I would not be opposed to that man. Look, I, I, just, did, I heard, man is I'm going to say man like 20 more times in this podcast now. I heard I heard that name thrown out, and I thought it was very interesting. So I figured I'd bring it up to that you. That is intriguing. I tell you what, that is intriguing. And he was with Washington this last year, right? Yeah, and, and you could argue. It, I mean, that statistically, they did pass the ball statistically well. They love a ton of especially sack, against right? us. Yeah, especially against <laughs> us. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's true. <laughs> but Ron Rivera got fired by Washington, so. I don't know. Do you think there, there might be an internal promotion? I think, as we said last week, let's table the head coaching conversation now that we know the season is over, but we still don't have an answer. I would like to uh, touch base with you, whether we do so on podcast or not. We'll, we'll definitely be discussing what happens with the Eagles head coach if something comes down. But I don't know. Is there anything from the game that you really like? want to yeah. break down further? Yeah, I just I guess it's important to note that the start of the second half, the defense actually held together for the first couple drives. The defense actually came out and punched back a little bit. Um, the D line had some decent moments. Milton, uh, I always forget. 
get Milton Milton Williams. Williams. Milton Williams had a pretty good game, man. He did. He had back-to-back plays where he had a nice play against the run, making it then third and short, and then he ended up crushing uh, Baker Mayfield on a sack the following play. I'm pretty sure that was second half. So the defense allowed us to try to get back into the game, and the offense just said, no, we're good. That offense coming out into the second half, that offense looked like they were dormant. Dormant, dude. I am looking and at it. And game right. well run for a loss of five yards, the merry-go-round back to the end zone. Oh my god. The hurt safety. Their, their first their first three drives to start the second half. Three plays, negative ten yards, punt. Five yard or five plays, ten yards, punt. Three plays, negative ten yards, safety. So they had negative ten yards uh and eleven plays. And that safety was actually the first points we let up in the second half. Yes. Yeah, and then it was two plays later they went down and scored the touchdown. Yeah. That was game over right there. Yeah. One of those drives, they go down and they score a touchdown, completely different ball game. Yeah. But that's the way the second half, the latter half of the season. Yeah, seriously. I mean, the defense didn't get much time to take a breather, and and it's just deflating when you finally stop this offense – and then you have nothing to show for it. You actually have you're worse off because your offense actually let up points and they get the ball back. Yeah, that was that was a really, really awful that safety. There's a really um Baldy, you know, Baldy's breakdowns. He did oh, a he did a post that was a collection of different plays just illustrating how bad and clueless the Eagles are against the Blitz. Um, and it's really just it's mind-boggling that they're so ill-prepared. We talked about on the pod against a team. I mean, everyone's blitzing them because they see how bad they are against the blitz. But Todd Todd Bowles is, like, known for blitzing. He's not shy to blitz. And they have really good linebackers. Like, they're going to blitz. Just, I don't know. I, I honestly feel like a blitz is an opportunity if you know that it's coming because on a lot of those blitzes, it's man coverage. You know, if you can beat your man... You can go pretty. You can go pretty far, you know. And the, and you saw Smith had a couple where where he was able to break loose, but yeah, yeah, that game I mean, looks bad. That, that one by the end of by the end of that game, I was just hate watching them. I was like, I'm almost glad this oh, is God. over because I've I've hated watching this football team. Yeah, for the last last seven weeks, I, Fletcher Cox had a sick play. Did you see his play against? Um, the remind me. I remember he had a good play, but I can't remember the exact play that you're talking about. It was a run to his side, and he had kind of pushed the right guard. I think it was back. His name starts with like an M. I hadn't really heard of the Bucks right guard before. It's like Mouse or Mount Mouch. Or something. Mouch. Mouch. And dude. <laughs> He did like five block sheds on one play. He th- he just threw the guy to the right, and then the running back was like, oh, I'll go to the left. Then he grabbed him again, and he threw him to the left, and he just kept throwing him right to left. By the end, Mouch, I think, was dizzy from how much he was just spun around. I think Brandon Graham was the one to actually make the tackle, but it was Fletcher Cox. He had just 
man, literally manhandled the guard and had the running back stymied because the running back was behind the guard and just kept trying different directions. And every time Fletcher Cox was like, peekaboo, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, a, it was an unbelievably dominant play by Fletcher Cox, who looked look to me like he had a pretty good game. Fletcher Cox was playing hard. I, I thought Fletcher Cox actually had a pretty solid game. I thought Brandon Graham also had a good game. It seemed like mm. the the veteran players, the long tenured Eagles, yeah. wanted to play. The younger, the younger guys, the newer guys, uh, didn't seem like it. I we'll give Nolan Smith a little credit. No he didn't make sack. He was in there on like every play. I don't. I, this is by far the most playing time he's gotten all season. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was because uh, like. Blankenship was out or or what the case was, but I think on pass plays on a lot of clear pass rush plays, they were putting BG in almost like a defensive um, tackle type situation. Mm -hmm. And then that leaves room for, you know, one less man in the defensive end rotation. You know, he was in there a lot. He had a sweet sack, man. He had a sweet sack coming off of the edge. I was like, that had to be Hassan Reddick, right? Nope. Still not Hassan Reddick. Nolan Smith, no. though. Wow. Yeah. Sweet move. So I, I do have to go and give or take like 15 minutes. So I think this might be a good segue uh, into looking at next year. Because Fletcher Cox is one of a lot of guys on this list I'm looking at who are unrestricted free agents going into next year. Wow. Now, assuming Jason Kelsey is gone, uh, some of the guys who are unrestricted free agents that I would say are key pieces to this Eagles team would be Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, and DeAndre Swift. I, those those looking at it are the I would say the three most important ones. Do you think Cox and Graham come back next year? I think yeah, Graham get does. Money on it. Just listening to his um, post game interviews and such, I think Graham does. He wants to do one more year. Yeah, didn't he, he said that? I think in in his post game interview, he's like, he's like, yeah, I'm running back one more year. Like, yeah, he was very straightforward. Farewell like, tour. We'll do one more year. I think he said it was my 15th year. I think he did. He say he says like farewell tour, a swan farewell song, tour, or whatever. Yeah. He was like, yeah. one more year, and then I'll retire. Like it was very, very planned out. It was usually it's like, and then I think I would notice one more year, and then I'll retire. <laughs> you know, and I and classic PG fashion. I think he deserves it. I think he deserves. I'm I'm sure he won't ask for a ton of money, and I'm I'm sure he'll be affordable. And I, if he wants to stay in Philly, which I'm assuming he would want to, um, yeah. that be his whole that's whole career in Philly. Uh-huh. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um give you gotta give it to him, right? I do you, here's here's what I guess prefaces this question about these different players. Is the window open at all for a Super Bowl run next year? Dude, that is a great question. Because that I, I would say dictates the answer to a lot of these personnel questions. I think after I mean, after last year, seeing how good Hertz is. The Hertz window is going to be an opportunity and a window for them to win the Super Bowl. Now, next year is the first year where his new deal hits the cap. So Jalen Hurts will be making a lot more money 
come 2024 than he was this year. So it will be incumbent upon Howie to work out and try to get some more affordable pieces now that that Hurts' deal is kicking in. But I gotta, I don't think the Eagles are gonna kick the can down the road. I mean, they're definitely gonna try to retool and and maximize this window that they have with Jalen Hurts. I got so I got to think. Yes, they think their their winning window is still now. So if they think the win winning window is still now, I would say that's actually points for Nick Sirianni staying versus bringing in a whole new coaching staff because that can take some time. If you look a lot of the new new hires for coaches, I feel like they they get scrutinized a lot for not being great in the first year, but it seems like it takes two or three years for everything, everyone to kind of get everything, probably coaches included. But uh, it's I feel like it's very, very hard, even if it's a great coach, to to get it all figured out the first year. It's just I feel like it's too much of a learning process. But um well, you look at three of our three of our coaches. Uh, Andy Reid was like what five and eleven his first year, and then they went to the N- NFC Championship game in in two thousand. Doug mm-hmm. Peterson went uh, won a Super Bowl in his second year. Nick Sirianni went to the Super Bowl in his second year. So the the three most prominent coaches that we've had in our lifetime, I would say, have all really taken a jump in the second year. So yes, that's a very good point. If we bring somebody in next year. Even well, that's the other thing though, is because those those three guys were all first time head coaches. Now, if you you hire a Mike Rabel who already understands how to be a coach and and knows how to reach a locker room and, and command a room of fifty three, maybe that learning curve isn't so different, even with a, with a new team. Maybe I just believe that it takes a long time for people to understand a scheme and what their coach is looking for yes. and the routine. I just think it's longer in football. I really do. Um, yeah. First year coaches success rated. I don't know if this is D'Amico Ryan's first year and I'm trying to think of coaches. Is, this yes. year. So that, this but the, I would say that that is an incredible anomaly. What he's it's done an outlier year, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I don't think ah, it, it feels hard to believe that Fletcher Cox would come back unless he takes a a huge pay cut, like huge pay cut. Do you think he's more likely to retire or go somewhere else? Try and win another Super Bowl. I think he's got to keep playing. He was too. He looks good. Yeah. I thought he looked above average. I would agree. I mean, he's, he's, there's a lot of teams that would be more than happy to have a Fletcher Cox in their building. Fletcher Cox is 33. So, I mean, he's getting up there, but you definitely have seen other older defensive linemen and he hasn't been he hasn't been strained the last few years that other defensive linemen are sometimes in the NFL. You know, he's only playing like 40-50% of snaps, so he's not being run into the ground. I I'd say he definitely has one more year in him. I would love to see him back, but it's also dependent on what his salary cap number is. I don't have those numbers in front of me. But. To me, if I'm Fletcher Cox, it feels like there's a little bit of a turning over happening. Whether Sirianni's fired or not, probably on that defense, it's going to be like another coach, a new system. Um, if I'm if I'm the Eagles, it might be a good time to kind of 
maybe see if you can move a guy like Slay even. I, I don't know. Unless you really, really think you can win the Super Bowl next year, I feel like we really need to start honing in on some young talent. Whereas this past year, I feel like we tried to fill every single hole with um, old older veteran type guys and just assume they'd fit right in or get the job done, whether it be Bradbury, Bayard, whatever the heck. The, I don't understand. I still don't understand the linebacker situation and how we got into such an awful <laughs> position, but it felt like we had too much reliance on band-aids. I would love to see. I would love to see more reliance on younger players and developing younger players, especially because that's more sustainable over a longer period of time than just getting up trading for a safety at the trade deadline to buy a hopefully a good half the season. I don't know. I'd, I'd rather see them invest in some of the younger talent. I think build I, I something. Would, yeah. Um, this is, I'm, I'm just trying, I'm trying to make heads or tails of this salary cap thing on spot track, but I swear the salary cap in the NFL and like the signing bonuses, the dead cap hit, it's so over my head because I've never really tried to study it. Trying to look at it right now, it looks like I'm looking at damn physics or something. <laughs> I, I can't. What's uh, I can't even think of what. Never mind. You're um, not taking Howie's job anytime soon, huh? No, no, I calculus. That's what I was trying to say. I feel like I'm looking at calculus which I never took, would have failed. Uh, the last last person on this list that I think is worth mentioning and asking you about, DeAndre Swift. So he was on a one-year deal this year. They have a history of not paying running backs. Do they bring him back? Do they try to draft? Do they do other? What's what's your what's your opinion? Shout out to them for not signing Miles Sanders, by the way. I agree, yes. At the time, we were kind of like, eh, but after seeing this year, definitely a good call. Yeah, he was not good. I wouldn't sign. I wouldn't sign Swift. I wouldn't sign Swift. I don't think that he is good enough for you to invest significant money at the running back position. At least not not with him. Yeah. There's there's so many there's so many average running backs, and I'm not saying he's average, but there's so many average running backs that you can find. I, I don't know. I, I think Swift is a good running back. He's still a running back with the history of injury issues, which he thankfully was pretty healthy this year, but that still exists. And uh, as young as he is, it's what was it? This is was his fourth, third or third or fourth year, like fourth year, I think running backs get old really quick and he's nowhere nowhere close to being old but think about like in the Ezekiel Elliott extension that Dallas did you know he got old like so quick all of a uh -huh. sudden he was so slow um so that's I the only that's the only fall off that's Ezekiel Elliott's fall off from greatness is the only thing faster than the Eagles this year <laughs> there you go <laughs> it's just I you I just don't want to be locked into anything too serious I guess for a long amount of time I'd no, bring him back, but I'm I'm thinking that he's going to want several years on a contract, which I wouldn't really be very uh, comfortable with. No. And the Eagles' MO over the years has been finding young running backs through the draft and then signing aging, vet aging veterans to one-year contracts. You know, or, or you do a sign and, sign and trade in the middle of the season. I'm just thinking 2017 when they had um, Blunt, and mm. Jay Ajayi, 
I mean, eat Ryan Matthews. You you could go on and on about like woo woo. What a train, Rico Ricardo. Ricky. Yeah, he, Ricardo would do the uh, the train. <laughs> nice. Kevin Blunt. Wow. They're they're gonna have to retool the entire defense, other than the defensive line. But yeah, we'll see what happens with Fletcher Cox. Yeah, I guess um, I'd rather use the money elsewhere. The Sorry. as as it stands right now, the Eagles have twenty nine million almost 30 million dollars in cap space going wow. in going into next year uh that is 18th in the nfl with um one being the most cap space that's the commanders they have almost 87 million in available cap for next year just look at the teams that did, don't have to pay a quarterback and you'll probably get towards the top of that list right wow you are so right commanders titans patriots Texans, Colts, how the Bengals are up there, I don't know. Why do you think the 49ers are so freaking good from top to bottom, dude? They have so much money that they've been able to invest in other positions. It's such a blessing when you stumble upon a a rookie year contract quarterback. And it's kind of why it's why our team was so, so stinking good with Hertz. Whoa. yeah, it's how it works. Like, if you don't have to pay a quarterback, you can use that money elsewhere. And that's, I mean, some people argue that that was our best roster of all time. I I just thought of something. Now, it's not it's it's not exactly the the same thing, uh, but Reed and McNabb came in in the same year, right? Or was it a year off? It's Reed and. Because something just hit me. I was like, Reed and McNabb like came in their second year together, NFC Championship game, almost Super Bowl. Wentz and Doug came in in the same year, second year together, they went to the Super Bowl. Now, Hertz was drafted a year before Sirianni got there, but he didn't play in 2020, barely at all. So it was technically his second year as a starter, Sirianni's second year as a coach. Like, they're – Quarterback and coach are seeming to just come in together with the Eagles. Yeah. At least in those those three. That's a good pull. 99 was McNabb's first year. And Reed's first year was 98 or 99? I thought it was 99. I thought so, too. It's just weird that... that 99. And, yeah. Andy, Andy McNabb. First year coach, first year quarterback. Doug and went Doug and Wentz, first year coach, first year quarterback. Now again, Syria like Hertz didn't play uh in twenty twenty, so you could say it was rookie year when it was Sirianni's rookie year. But that's that's the key is finding a, a cheap, good quarterback. That if you go back over the last 15 years, almost every team that has gone to and or won a Super Bowl is a stud quarterback, eventual franchise quarterback who's still playing on their rookie deal. Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes. Now, they've they've had success even after Patrick Mahomes has gotten signed, but you just, you just go back. Other than Tom Brady, who was dating a supermodel and was getting paid like the median of the league, 
Uh, Russell Wilson, right. when they won the Super Bowl, they were Russell Wilson was still on his rookie deal. That's like the key in the NFL. Once you have to pay a quarterback, your window for winning the Super Bowl diminishes very quickly. Yeah. Also, one thing that I find hilarious, it's completely unrelated, but the New Orleans Saints, as of now, have a negative $75 million cap hit going into next year. It's crazy. They must have tons of dead money. I guess. I don't know how, again, I don't know how any of this works. I I know they paid Derek Carr a a stupid amount of money for his level of production, but. I don't get how much, I'm trying to think of like, I don't know, of people on their team that they got rid of the last several years that could be like dead money type people people players rather that would have contributed to that dead money and i i'm just not a lot of people that stick out to me so i don't know how they got themselves in that situation but i don't know i have i have hard enough time keeping up with all the eagles players let alone who's on the saints yeah um but no i definitely i want to touch base with you and uh and, and talk talk to the people about what happens either when they do make a move at, co- at uh, coach if they don't make a move at coach and then as we get further into the spring, we'll start talking about moves that they have made, looking into the draft. You know, it's Philadelphia. We're always a little eagled up, even when here's, it's March Here's an interesting thought. Nick Sirianni gets fired today, uh-huh. hypothetically. Okay. Tonight, This is yeah. breaking news. <laughs> it's Sirianni. breaking news sounder, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> Nick Sirianni gets fired. How much money would you be willing to put on? Do you think Nick Sirianni gets another head coaching job like next year? Someone's like, oh, Nick Sirianni's available. Do you think he's getting signed as a head coach? Yeah. Well, I don't for, for, at for all. Next, for next year, it, like, are you saying next year specifically or I'll ever, just say, ever again? I mean, this year, for this is he going to get a head coaching job either this year, meaning he's a head coach next year on a different team mm-hmm. or even in the next two years, we can do that if you want. I, would I, say I think absolutely. No. I say, I say absolutely on his, on his record alone, his win percentage alone. He's 34 and 17, I believe. I mean, it's like a 600, 600 win percentage, which is not how I felt when Doug Peterson was fired. When Doug Peterson was fired, I was, I was convinced he'd get another job, but just, it just, to me, it's just shows the total lack of competence over the last couple months and the, like the total failure from top to bottom and how big of a fall it was to me when Doug Peterson was fired, I was like, this guy's going to be a head coach. Like I didn't even, I didn't think he'd be a coordinator or anything first. It just felt like he was going to get hired as a head coach. Cause he, he seems like, and it seemed like he's a good coach, I thought. Yeah. But Nick Sirianni, I just find it hard to believe that a team is going to see what just happened and trust him with their organization. That is very that's a very good point and it has to be damning on Sirianni if he does get fired to go from almost winning the Super Bowl to getting fired within a 12-month span. Like something had to have gone completely wrong and it it's inherently his fault if he was getting fired for it at least in Lori and Howie's opinion so yeah yeah another organization might see that as a major red flag I think if he does get fired by the Eagles eventually he will coaches are hired to get fired um, 
I think he's going to get another crack at being a head coach solely based on his record alone. Mm. But that's just my opinion. And it's what do I know? hard to I see him whack. as a coordinator, offensive that's coordinator, just because if he could be oh, an offensive yeah. coordinator, then why don't you freaking call plays for us this, exactly. this year, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's that's not exactly uh, helping his, his resume, is seeing how future the offense was. Which, another great segue, I stumbled upon this stat. Uh, of the 12 teams that played this weekend, who do you think had the most yards on offense? I'd have to... Mm. It's a, a tough little, little trivia. Let me just think about it. So it's one of two teams, I think. It's probably yeah. either the Packers or the Bucks. I'm trying to think. The Packers scored a lot of points from turnovers. Mm-hmm. The Bucks had a lot of yards. I bet you it's one of those two teams. Let's go. It's going to be Bucks. It's Packers. It's going to be Bucks. Uh, Packers had the fourth most yards this, this ah! year. The, this, oh, wait, this wait, weekend. this year? This, sorry, this weekend. I'm sorry. Okay, it, okay, it's okay, this, okay. Uh, just strictly first super wild card weekend playoffs. The Dallas Cowboys had the most yards because they were playing what? from behind. Oh, they were playing okay. from behind Jeez. the whole time. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers had the second most yards. Uh, Rams, Packers, Chiefs, down the list. The Eagles had the second fewest amount of yards. Uh, only in front of the Miami Dolphins, who were playing in the freezer. Wow. Yeah, well. Yeah. So were the Chiefs. Rasheed Rice, shout out. Good football player. Um, I just I found that damning. That's, and yeah. Like That's the, bad. The Browns and the Steelers scored, uh, had more yards than us. Yeah. Especially, I think the Steelers there. You wouldn't have expected the Steelers, Mason yeah. Rudolph, and no, they they were company. and they were playing in Buffalo in, in the aftermath of a blizzard. Right, and they had fifty more yards than we did on office, offense. Three hundred twenty-four for the Steelers, two seventy-six if you care for the Eagles. It's just been so so bad on the Eagles. I don't, I can't even I can't even think of a word to describe how badly. The team played last night. I always hate watching it. By the end of it, I'm like, I'm glad you guys are losing because I don't want to watch this. Sh- it was shit a slow anymore. death. The the game Very. was such a slow death, and then the Bucks' last drive was, of course, just more of a just like turning the dagger in your in your heart in your chest because it was just like a. I think it was like it felt like a five or six minute. We'll pass a little bit. We run a little bit. We're just doing whatever we want. Oh, we're still going to throw a little bit to Mike Evans and Godwin because we're going to pass their stats and we can because you guys can't do anything. Uh, and I actually did feel a little bit bad for the defense in the second half because they did actually make some big stops and the offense was just not there to have their backs. Yeah. And that's, that's a shame because that could have been a lot of fun. I just think it, it does go to show the magnitude of how big an impact AJ Brown has on this offense. It's crazy. Yeah. It's does he crazy. Come, before we get out of here, no, does he come, does he come, come on? No, he's easy. No, he's I think gone. he does just, he, if he didn't have a, you know, a good relationship with Hertz or they didn't have history of, of being tight and stuff, maybe I'd be worried about it. But the fact that they seem to be able to get along pretty well, um, makes me feel like he'll he'll be good. I it's just it's it's weird that he deleted all of the eagle stuff off his social media 
maybe that's just the diva wide receiver that you have to be. Yeah. I, but why? Like, what happened? He got injured, and then yeah. Like I, I again, these are all things we're gonna find out. I think in the next in the coming weeks about uh, inside backstories, locker room, riffraff, what what have you. Uh, so I it's gonna a question. be. Yes, hit me. About AJ Brown. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a conversation that I heard happening on the of all podcasts, the Rights to Ricky Sanchez po- uh, podcast. Great Sixers podcast. Actually, speaking of Howard Eskin, one of the, the hosts is his son, Spike Eskin. Spike Eskin. Who is worlds more tolerable than <laughs> Howard Eskin. I can't believe that it's his son, honestly. Former UWIP program director, <laughs> now working in New York, I believe. Yeah. Um, but they were... They were like, don't you think it's a little bit weird that A.J. Brown was out? He was considered out on Friday. Yeah. Like it was pretty. I didn't really think about that, but that's pretty weird that he was considered out two or was that two or three days, whatever, ahead of the game. Usually like why? Why? Why not wait a little longer? That was weird. I thought so too. Yeah. Especially because they were like, he might play next game. So it wasn't like he's out, he's done for three to four weeks or whatever. It was out, might play next game. And we still had a handful of days. Well, left. I mean, I was it Friday or Saturday? Re- regardless, I, my argument to that or, or my explanation would be that if you haven't practiced up to that point because you're still that injured the likelihood that you're going to be able to practice and get up to speed with the offense within that next 48 hours is probably very slim. But again, still, you should, you, you would think if it's the playoffs, the guy cared, he'd give it his all up until like the day prior to at least try to practice and try to get out on the field. Yeah. I did. I did notice that. Though. That's yeah. I thought that goes. was weird. I did. It, it was weird. That's one reason I, I will always, always respect T.O. I can't, I can't remember if we've had this conversation before or not, but he should have never played in that Super Bowl for us. Hell no. He literally had to search for a doctor that would okay him, and he was trying all this, like, new, he was, like, doing Aaron Rodgers-type stuff to figure out how to get his body to work good enough for him to play in that game. And uh, I will, for even though there was – a lot to get mad at T.O. about. I will always respect him for just deciding that he was going to play in that game and to do as much as he could possibly do, uh, even though doctors are like, no, do not play. Um, and I'm not saying <laughs> go against your doctors. I'm just saying like it's the opposite of of the vibe that we get when we see a player's out on two, three days before the game is, but whatever. I digress. T.O. wasn't a diva at all. <laughs> No, no, no. Doing no. sit-ups in your driveway with the entire Philadelphia media there. That's that's not, not really resonating as diva at all. He just happened to show up. It was weird. He just invited him to work out with him. <laughs> he was doing oh. a summer program. I re- dude, I remember that like it like it was yesterday and, and we were like 10, 11 at the time. <laughs> I, I was just like, what is going on? This is this is a mess. This is an absolute shit show. I remember being like, wow, he's really strong. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Fucking Jack, dude. I was like, whoa, I can see why he's good at football. (laughs) 
Oh man! All right, so I do. I have to get running. I'm sorry. Um, although this 70 minutes that we've been recording thus far has flown by, as yeah, uh, as it seems every every podcast does. It's funny before you and I get on, and and this is for the people who make it this far in the podcast if they want to even listen to this. Before I get on with you, I'm like, do we really even have that much to talk about? Like this could be a half hour episode, and then you and I just get talking. Voila! Yeah, 75 minutes is gone. I know it's, it's kind of it's it's a beautiful thing and that's why I enjoy talking to you about sports always have I think that's why we do this podcast I guess we would do a little debrief on the season real quick and it's it's been an honor getting this started and seeing seeing you on Sunday was really nice I hope I get to see you uh, soon whenever the next time I'm in Pittsburgh is but I'm just I'm thankful to have this release this this person to talk to you about sports. I look forward to it every week oh absolutely but, whether or not I, I get to watch, you know, as much film as I want to, or I get prepped, talking about sports with you is enjoyable and it's easy. And doing a podcast with you has been a lot of fun, my friend. Easy is a good way to put it. It's easy. It's natural, and it's like I've said it a million times. It's a it's a nice, uh, safe place to to get it out, get it out of the system, whatever Absolutely. it is that week. And I, I will say one, a couple last like closing thoughts on this Eagles team as we mm -hmm. move on and away from this team. Um, it feels like this is the most kind of disconnected I've felt with a Philly sports team. And I, I don't feel apathetic. Like I said, even before the game started, we're getting ourselves hyped up and like, I still love the team, but as far as, as much as I can feel, apathetic towards a team or just disconnected from a team and its players. Um, I think I made this comparison in a previous spot. This feels, this feels and felt like the opposite of the Phillies team. I think the last pod where I felt like I love these guys. I think I said that was their game against the bills because they fought back, showed incredible toughness uh, and it wasn't their best game ever, but, and they won of course, but they showed toughness and they just did not quit that game. And it feels like ever since then, um, I haven't seen that. And I, I think it was during that pod. It's like, I think I love this team. I feel connected to this team. I'm starting to fall in love with this team. And ever since then, it was like, these guys look, they look disconnected. There's no passion. There's no energy. Um, you know, I'm, we're spending so much time watching them and talking about them. And, and they're just blank stares on the sidelines and they look lethargic out there. So is is much during the Phillies run and everything. I felt like so much passion, so connected. Players constantly. It was a love affair between Harper and the Phillies players and the fans, just back and forth. I love you. No, I love you. Um, and then and then there's this team. Just I just felt like they're so disconnected. By the time we got to the playoffs, I even had the thought, and I'll end with this, where. I was like, if some miracle happened where we actually win and we won the Super Bowl this year, when I, I was imagining how like fake that would feel to like celebrate that just in the sense of like, how could you feel the way we feel right now in the last several weeks and then be like, I love this team. I, I just could I couldn't see how I could get from here to there just emotionally and from an attachment kind of standpoint, if that makes any sense at all. No, um, absolutely. Yeah, it was hard to connect with this team by the end. They just didn't look like they wanted to be there. Yeah, the, there was the the city, the fans loved the Phillies. Even though they broke our hearts and we were pissed about it, at least they were a likable team and we enjoyed watching them. The Eagles, 
by the time the game ended last night, had lost the city. Yeah. I mean, there there are a lot of people that are glad the season's over so that they don't have to watch the Eagles anymore, myself included. And that is not a place you want to be if you are a, any sports franchise in that your fan base despises you to a certain extent. And that's where the Eagles are Tuesday after losing to the Bucks in Super Wild Card Weekend. I just had a, I had a sad thought, though. You don't get to watch the Eagles until August. Yeah. Preview tonight. Big game. Sixers going against the Nuggets. Embiid versus Jokic. And I think for once, they're both actually participating in the game. Usually one Embiid, of them. Usually. Is Embiid playing? I know he played last night for his Earlier, first game I back. know. I thought he wasn't going to play because he played last night. But the last I saw... I haven't seen anything that says he's not playing. I'm surprised. I agree with you. I didn't think he'd play, but uh, here he is. I am playing. glad. I'm glad you uh, you brought this up because we will be focusing more on Flyers, Sixers going forward. Uh, eventually, I'll throw in my my golf minute as we get to spring and and uh, the golf, and, and we'll you know we'll touch on the happenings of sports in, the, in general, whatever happens in the NFL playoffs. I'm sure we'll talk about the, the Super Bowl. Glad to see it. Another thing we didn't talk about, though, it was really good for 24 hours to know that the Dallas Cowboys got their dicks kicked in on national TV. That that yeah. lessened the blow slightly in, until at least until the game. It doesn't. I've never been a big guy for that kind of thing. I I hate Dallas. I feel like I hate Dallas as much as anyone. I hate them so much, yeah. but I don't necessarily, I'm not like a love to see the city burn type guy. Uh, you know, I'm happy they lost, but it it's separate from my emotions with the Eagles in the sense of like, it doesn't make the loss feel less bad because they lost. If that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah. The, uh, the game just tipped off and Philadelphia and Embiid is playing. So let's go He's trying to, to keep his 30, 10 streak alive. Hell yeah. If we win. Who cares? But gosh, I got to get 30 points and 10 rebounds. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just before we get out of here, a quick update on the Sixers and Flyers where they stand. The Sixers are third in the Eastern Conference with a 25 and 13 record. The Flyers are still playing very good hockey. Second in the Metro, fourth in the conference with 54 points through 44 games. Just so. Gloria, Gloria, Gloria. Blues. <laughs> with that story back when the blues won they discovered their fight song when they're in philadelphia at a bar really and then they went on a magic run and ended up winning the cup yeah i guess they're in philadelphia they a bunch of the guys heard the song gloria playing um by uh i have no idea that one um and they're like oh this is oh, this is a pretty good song here paul then they end up going on a magical run this was a couple years back several years back yeah i think it was 2019 i think they end up winning the cup, and then, of course, an article comes out saying how it all uh, started in Philadelphia. I, I knew, I knew the story how they were in last place at Thanksgiving, which is normally the uh, telltale sign of where teams are going to finish. And then, you know, yeah, went on that magical run. Did not know it started in Philly, so that is interesting. It, well, I mean, the, song, the, 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 the song was birthed, and I'll send yeah. you the article. Yeah. Okay, yeah, please do. Philly right, had so. to. They're like, oh, we're actually a part of this. <laughs> It's the only championship Stanley Cup they've been a part of in the last 50 <laughs> years. So, 
All right, uh, Dan, it has been a pleasure. And uh, we hang our hats on the Eagles season. Our podcast started with the draft. And now we will sign off episode number 34 with quiet hearts and, and heavy, heavy heads. Play the taps, yes. <laughs> you have a great trumpet there, Dan. Thank you. I've been told. I've been told. <laughs> that that would, could be taken a multitude of different ways. And on that note, I <laughs> we are signing off. This is the Del Valley Sports Pod. Dan, it's been a pleasure as always. If you've listened this far, thank you. You're a great person. Enjoy the rest of your weeks, ladies and gentlemen. And go birds. Go birds forever and always. At least go until birds. until next year. Go birds. All right. And See go Sixers. Yeah, go Sixers. Go Flyers. Woo! Take care.